We make a big deal about milestones in our lives, and I would argue that we should make a big deal about milestones in our lives, graduations, engagements, weddings, anniversaries, and births. We want to share this good, this special news with other people, so what do we do? We send out announcements. And one particular development in the birth announcement category has been the gender reveal party, where parents think of clever ways to reveal the gender of their unborn child. It's a surprise, it's a celebration, announcing this exciting new chapter in their lives, the coming of a daughter or a son. In simplest terms, Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 38 is little more than a couple of birth announcements. But these two birth announcements would change the course of history. They would change the world forever. They marked the unfolding of God's promised plan for salvation and redemption that had been in the works since eternity past, that God's people had known about for ages and ages, the promise to send the Deliverer, the Savior, the Messiah. See, the things mentioned here in Luke 1 and in the other Gospels, they aren't things that just happened out of the blue. They didn't come from left field and Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem. These were promised events. These were things that God's people were looking forward to for hundreds, even thousands of years. And Luke's goal for us in Luke 1 is to connect the dots. For us to understand and know so that we might have, remember from last week, certainty about the things that had been accomplished through Jesus Christ. And so these wonderful and unique birth announcements are part of God's plan of accomplishing redemption, accomplishing salvation, and bringing His grace and gospel to a lost and hurting and needy world. So what I want us to do this morning, what I want to invite you to do this morning in this Advent season is to think about all of those creative and precious and wonderful and beautiful birth announcements and to look past them into first century Palestine. I want to invite you to try to wrap your head and your heart around these incredible birth announcements which essentially say loud and clear, God loves us so much that He became a man, that He was born in a manger, that He was kept in a feeding trough, all to fulfill God's promise to be with us forever. Nothing is impossible with God. And I don't mean to throw shade on any of the parents in this room, but... These are the greatest birth announcements of all time. So let's look at the passage together and see what we can see. First of all, I want us to see announcing the announcer. Announcing the announcer. Have you ever been to an event that's so big, it's so important, that they introduce the guy that's going to introduce the guy? In some way, that's what's happening here. This announcement has to do with the birth of John the Baptist... And one of the things that God is communicating through this entire event, this whole thing, is that this is a big 
deal. Y'all, something big is about to happen. That's what all of this is about. That's what these announcements are about. Get ready, something big is about to go down. And what's unique about this birth announcement about John the Baptist's birth are two things. It highlights how he was born and it highlights the details of his life. Those were the things that were unique about John. How he was born and the details of his life. When we read about Zechariah and Elizabeth conceiving in their old age, we should think back to the Old Testament. We should think about Abraham and Sarah. When they conceived a son in their old age, and that was at the beginning of God revealing his saving plan, his covenant promises to his people. It was something special. It was special, impossible, and miraculous. And that same thing is true of this event. Zechariah and Elizabeth, Elizabeth having a baby was impossible outside of a miracle from God. And so there's something unique and special about the way that John the Baptist came into this world. There's also something unique and special about his life. We'll look more at this as Luke unfolds, but you know that John's life was special. His special calling was to point people to Jesus Christ. And so through his life, through his preaching, through his words, through his actions, all of those things in a unique and even somewhat odd way pointed people to Jesus. His life was special. His birth was special. So he could point us to Jesus Christ. A voice crying in the wilderness. Y'all get ready. Make your path straight. Christ is coming. And I know it's not exactly the same thing. But do you ever think that your life, part of the calling and purpose of your life, is the same as John's? To point people through your words and your actions and your thoughts and your life to Jesus Christ. No matter who you are or what you do or what you've accomplished through your words and actions in life, pointing people through your accomplishments and your failures to Jesus Christ the Messiah. Let's look at the background of this announcement. What do we see here in announcing the announcer. The setting is somewhere in Judah, a town near Jerusalem. The time, verse 5 tells us, was when uh, Herod was king in Judea. This isn't so much about Herod's rule. It's a time stamp. It's for us to know that this happened in time and space. These events are real. This really happened. What else do we learn about the, the, the players here? The players are Elizabeth and Zechariah, what do we know about them? Zechariah was a priest from the division of Abijah. He wasn't the high priest. He seemed to be, from what we understand, a regular temple priest. He was an ordinary pastor. Elizabeth was from the family of Aaron. Her father was likely a priest as well. We have a preacher married to the daughter of a preacher. Can you imagine that? Um, and I don't know if they had counseling back then, but I'm sure they would have had plenty to talk about. Uh, so that's kind of the backstory of, 
of Elizabeth and Zechariah, but the Bible also tells us that they were righteous. They were righteous before God, it says it in verse 6. They were authentic people who loved the Lord. They talked the talk and they walked the walk. They feared God and He was their great reward. What else do we know about them? We know that they struggled with certain things. They knew and loved God, but they had their share of disappointment in life. One of the biggest ones was that they did not have any children, and now they were advanced in years. And that's a nice way of saying they were old. And their, their hopes of having children and grandchildren were long gone. Think about it. Trusting God, yet living with disappointments. That sound familiar? That's something maybe that we can relate to. It's been part of the life of faith for thousands of years. Trusting God in the midst of our disappointments. So let's look at the announcement specifically. Uh, the text tells us that Zechariah was at work. It was his turn uh, to do the temple duties. The people were gathered outside praying. He was chosen by lot, not by accident, but by lot to go in to offer uh, incense and to pray for the people, and an angel appeared to Zechariah. And you may be tempted to think that this is a normal thing in the Bible that angels appeared to folks on a regular basis. It didn't happen that way. And Zechariah's uh, response was a natural one. He was afraid. He didn't know what was going on. Uh, and it's it's beautiful. The angel says immediately, do not be afraid. He calms his fears and he essentially says, I'm not coming to bring you bad news. I'm coming to bring you really good news. Your prayer has been answered. This is how we know that one of the disappointments in Elizabeth and Zechariah's life was having no children. He says, your prayer has been answered. Elizabeth will bear a son. You'll call him John. You will have joy and gladness. Not just you, but other people will rejoice. Verse 15 says, he's going to be great. Can you imagine hearing from an angel that your son is going to be great? Not necessarily in the eyes of men, but he'll be great in the eyes of God. Verse 15 also says, he'll be a consecrated man. He'll be set apart for this wonderful task and calling. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit from even in his mother's womb. He'll turn the children of Israel to the Lord. What, what better calling and privilege to remind people, to point people of who they really are and whose they are, that they belong to the Lord. He'll go before him. This is the first glimpse of his connection to Jesus in the spirit of Elijah. John the Baptist's ministry was to go and wake people up from their slumber and point them to Jesus Christ. And then in verse 16, one of my favorite phrases here, he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. There's a great temptation in life to live a selfish life. One of the ways that can be expressed is when fathers ignore and neglect and forget and exasperate our children. Sometimes we even do it with this phrase, I'm doing this all for you. And part of John the Baptist's 
gospel work was to turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children. And then he says in verse 17, make ready for the Lord a people prepared. This is a summary of John's calling. Get people ready. Jesus is coming. Y'all get ready. Jesus is on the way. This is a wonderful birth announcement. I wouldn't try to top it. It's amazing and incredible, and it's part of the majesty and the glory of the incarnation of Jesus. So what about Zechariah and Elizabeth's response? How did they respond to this news that they would have a child and that he would play a special part in God's plan? Here's the most incredible news that Zechariah has ever received in his life. What's he say? Are you sure? How can I know for sure? Um, The fact that an angel is telling you may be a pretty good indication that this is good intelligence. Uh, But he doubted, he says, and uh, he was mute for over nine months. People wondered why he was still in the temple. They were confused. He came out. He couldn't really explain what happened. And then it says uh, that he went home. He went to his home, probably frustrated and confused. And then Elizabeth conceived, and she kept herself hidden for five months. And it says in verse 25, the Lord has done for me in these days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. So she rejoiced. How might our response be to information like this? What is your gut reaction when you see how Zechariah responded? Part of me says, there's an angel in front of you. How could you not believe? But then part of me also identifies with Zechariah. In a broken world full of hurt and disappointment, times where we seem to be waiting and waiting for answers, it's tempting to doubt God's promises, isn't it? Here's a pastor who wrestles to believe God's good promises. I can relate. God, how are you working in the midst of my frustrations and heartache and disappointments? Lord, how could you use me after I've blown it so many times? Maybe you can relate. Zechariah lacked faith. He was humbled, but you know what? God was not finished with him. God didn't cast him off. God didn't give up on him. He just had a little more time to process and grow in solitude. Uh, But he was still working. Are there areas in your life where you doubt the promises of God? Maybe you question the importance and relevance of the first century birth announcements here. Who cares about John the Baptist and Jesus? My life is unraveling and I'm hurting and alone and no one understands. This announcement from Luke 1 is a simple invitation for us to believe and trust in God's promises deeper and stronger than ever. We don't need perfect faith. 
We need a perfect Savior who is compassionate and merciful to sinners. This birth announcement, Him coming to earth, is the greatest expression and declaration of the truth that the gospel of Jesus Christ is real. That's the first part that we see from Luke 1, 5-38. The announcing the announcer. The second thing I want us to look at is announcing the Christ. The narrative of Luke moves seamlessly from the announcement of John's life to the announcement of Jesus' life because it's really all one big event. The coming of our King in the sixth month. Verse 26 tells us that is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. This is what happened. Where's, what's the scene? They're in Nazareth in the hill country of Galilee. It's about a three-day journey from Nazareth to Jerusalem. This is a country place. We would say that it's a backwoods place. When? When Elizabeth was six months pregnant. Who? Mary, a young woman, a virgin, who was engaged to be married, most Bible to be married. Most Bible scholars believe that she was a teenager, maybe 15 to 16 years old. And Joseph was her fiancé from the household of David. How did this announcement go down? It's similar to the one with Zechariah. And the angel Gabriel came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. How did she respond? She was afraid. She tried to figure out what this meant. And you can relate to this. Have you ever been afraid and, or, or insecure and someone comes up and says something to you, even something positive or kind, and you think to yourself, well, what's that supposed to mean? She was afraid. She was searching for some sort of meaning in this special greeting. And Gabriel says to her, do not be afraid. Same thing he said to Zechariah. There is no secret meaning to Gabriel's words. They were clear and straightforward and true. Mary had found favor with God. And it's the same Greek word. It's the same root word as grace. Mary had found grace from God. He was with her, not because she was amazing, not because she was perfect, not because she was special or better than other people. She had found grace with him. God lavished his grace on Mary. And it's hard for us to receive that kind of grace, those words of grace from God. Think about it. It's even hard for us to receive it from other people. When someone comes up to us and says, I'm proud of you, I forgive you, I love you, good job, thank you. We say, not me, I'm not worth it. We let our guilt and our shame and our fears run the show when there is a deeper and stronger reality because of Jesus Christ. And it's this, don't be afraid. The Lord is with you. You found favor and grace with God. And he goes on to explain, you'll conceive and have a son. His name will be Jesus. And he'll be great, the son of the most high God. And he will sit on his, father's throne, on his father David's throne forever. And that statement isn't simply poetic. It's a clear connection. 
between all of God's promises of the Messiah from the Old Testament to now. Mary knew what this meant. It was an undeniable promise of God's Savior that would be born to her. Now, what was Mary's response? It's interesting. She asked a question, just like Zechariah. And we don't know all the nuances, but she said simply, how can this be since I'm not yet married, since I'm a virgin? But there seems clearly to be a difference in the way she asked and the way Zechariah asked his question. We have to believe that her question was asked with open, uh, open heart and open hands, honestly inquiring of Gabriel. While Zechariah's must have been laced with doubt. And there's a difference, right? We can bring our questions our struggles, our fears to God in faith, with humility, even with passion and tears, with open hands and open hearts to God. Or we can bring our questions to Him with closed fists and angry hearts. May we bring our questions to God the way that Mary brought hers. How will this be since I'm not yet married? What was Gabriel's response? He simply went on to explain one of the greatest mysteries and glories of human history, of the Christian faith, a bedrock of what we believe. He went on to explain what theologians call the incarnation. Before Mary and Joseph would get married, she would conceive a child by the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 35 says it this way. It says it so simply. The child... To be born literally of you will be called holy, the Son of God. Why is this so special? What is the big deal? This is the place where heaven and earth intersect. The second person of the Trinity leaves heaven He humbles himself by becoming a human being, not just showing up as a man, a strong man. He became an embryo. He grew in the body of a teenage girl. He was born. He lived and died. All of this begins in time and space with this announcement, with this miraculous, maybe even confusing and scandalous fact that Mary became pregnant even though she was a virgin, and that she carried the Son of God in her womb. Why does this matter? Well, for several reasons. First of all, it matters, and it was part of God's plan, to subvert original sin. It was a miracle. It wasn't just a party trick to make us say, ooh, ah, that's great. It was a strategic part of God's plan In so many ways. You see, Mary was a sinner. She was a human being just like us. She found grace and favor with God because she needed God's mercy. Not because she was perfect. And the incarnation of Jesus Christ in this way assured that original sin passed down from fathers to the children, originally from Adam, would not be passed on to Christ. If Joseph was Jesus' biological father, Jesus would have been born 
with a sinful nature. His, his nature would have been tainted by sin. But we know he lived his life in perfect obedience to the Father. He was born without original sin. And then he fulfilled, he accomplished the will of his heavenly Father. It matters... Because it's part of God's glorious, perfect, indescribable plan to save us from our sins. Second reason it matters is uh, it shows us that God will go to any length to save His people. We've all heard people say things like this, right? We will go to any length to make this happen. We'll work tirelessly for you. We'll stop at nothing until we've achieved our goal and finished our task. Then you hear stories about parents or spouses who spend their entire lives looking for that lost child or that lost loved one. You hear stories of people spending all of their money and giving all of their time and sacrificing their dreams and their careers so they can care for a special needs child or a sick loved one. Those stories stand out to us because sadly we've become accustomed to expect the opposite. So many times in life when things are difficult, people bail. When the road gets rocky, we expect the worst. There are plenty of reasons for us to think this way. We've been battered and beaten by life. And then you add to that our own mistakes, our own failures, our besetting sins. This is why we need to hear and see and feel these birth announcements from the first century. It's why we need to celebrate Christmas each year. Not because of the presence or the tree or the music, which are all fine, but we need a physical, powerful, real-life reminder that God will go, and He has gone, to any length to deliver us and save us. He became a human being so that we can live forever with Him. He left the glories of heaven and perfect fellowship with the Father and the Spirit to rescue us people who were still His enemies, people who wanted nothing to do with Him. In a dark and cynical world, when we're tempted to become more angry and bitter and resentful, we need these glorious birth announcements to melt our hearts and to shape our lives and to blow our minds to the reality that God really does love us and He really does care for us. If the incarnation of Jesus Christ is real, if Christmas is real, then we can have faith and believe that God is working in our lives. We can believe that God can use our disappointments to shape us into His glory. We can believe that God can use our heartbreak to help us to empathize with And care for others whose hearts are broken. That nothing can stop his everlasting plans. His any lengths stop at nothing love for us. And you know that God loves to work in counterintuitive ways. And he likes to use the most unlikely people to accomplish his plan and his purposes. You know what that means? He can use you. And he can use me. No matter what you've done. 
No matter how amazing your achievements are or how lackluster your spiritual resume may be, remember, it's not about you and me. It's about Him. Maybe you're here this morning, a very religious person with tons of knowledge and information about God, but you struggle with anger and resentment and bitterness, and you need to learn how to trust God from your heart in a deeper way. Maybe you're here this morning, a teenager, and you're wondering if God is real and if He really cares. Maybe you're here, a mom with kids at home, running on empty, lack of sleep, crying kids, changing diapers, and you wonder what type of impact you're making in this world. You may be single this morning and struggling with singleness. You may be a worker and working in this work-a-day world and you never know when you'll get out of the hamster wheel. Whether you're lonely or connected, fearful or at peace, filled with shame or walking in forgiveness, the incarnation, the birth announcement about Jesus Christ is our invitation to live with hope and to believe the promises of God. Think about it. If God can save the world and forgive sin and transform people's lives and offer eternal life, beginning with an elderly couple and a teenage girl, He can work in our lives. May we trust Him and see and believe the light of Christ this Christmas season. Let's pray.